All right, we are now looking at Matthew chapter 7 as we move towards finishing up the Sermon on the Mount. This is the last uh, chapter we're going to look at at Matthew for quite a while. I said at the first service, um, I'll finish this just before Easter, do a couple Easter messages, and then uh, after Easter we'll pick up in the book of Acts. So I'm looking forward to that. We're looking at kingdom relationships, kingdom relationships, and as we look through Matthew chapter 7, we're going to look at just the way we relate to different people uh, as we try to walk the narrow way that Christ has called us to. So this will be basically the outline as we, as we go through the chapter. In the first service, though, we looked at our attitude towards those outside the church. I did it backwards. We looked at chapter 7, chapter, uh, seven verse 6 first. And so this service, we're going to look at chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. And so today, at that, at that point, where we look at the issue of planks, right, that's a verse that you're very familiar with. You know, why are you trying to get the speck out of your neighbor's eye when you've got a big, huge plank sticking out of your own eye? And of course, we'll look at verse 1, which is the unbeliever's favorite verse. Who are you to judge me? Who are you to judge me? So as we look at Matthew chapter 7, as we seek Christ's kingdom and his righteousness, we must guard ourselves against self-righteous seeing that blinds us to our ever-present need for Christ's righteousness. Jesus wants to prevent us from having a pharisaical or a Pharisee-type attitude about our righteousness. As you study the Pharisees, you see that they were so consumed in their own righteousness, their self-righteousness. They thought they could somehow earn God's favor. And Jesus says, you're so far from that. And then he tells us, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So the question is, how do we get that righteousness? And that's through faith in Jesus Christ alone. So as those who are trying to live out kingdom principles in the here and the now, and the already not yet. We have to guard against self-righteous seeing that blinds us to our ever-present need for Christ's righteousness, the gospel. And as we guard against self-righteous seeing, then we will relate rightly to others, to our brothers and sisters in the body. This will strengthen relationships, and it will strengthen the church. And that's what we want the problem is, as we grow in our faith, as we grow in our sanctification, as we learn what it means to follow Christ, and as the Holy Spirit works in us to obey Christ, what happens? We begin to look at other people who aren't quite where we are spiritually, and we don't always look at them with the best frame of mind, right? We begin to kind of look down on them. You're not connecting the dots, so-and-so just doesn't get it. I'm just like, where, what are they thinking? And we have a pharisaical attitude, not, not unlike that of Luke chapter 18, where Luke records for us this, to some who were confident in their own righteousness, look at me, and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you, I'm not like that guy. Whoa, heaven forbid. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even this tax collector, I'm just pathetic, look at him. Matter of fact, I, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. 
It is so, I mean, you, you look at that and you laugh. You're like, I would never do that. When you see other people struggling in sin or somebody who's kind of fallen a little bit in sin, check your attitude and think about what you're thinking with respect to them and the condition they're in and where you are. That's what we want to avoid. D.A. Carson's so accurate when he says this. He says, we human beings display a vast capacity for self-deception. We, for example, we prostitute righteousness into self righteousness, right? What he's saying is, is we've been given the righteousness of Jesus Christ as followers of Christ, and that righteousness that we've been given is a gift from God to us, and the Holy Spirit works in us to display that righteousness. We act like it's something that we've done, and we use it to our advantage to give ourselves a position superior to others spiritually. We're prostituting the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He says, imperfection into a perfect reputation. What other people think about you? But we accomplish this prostitution so cleverly that we are best only vaguely aware of the monstrosity that we have wrought. We're just not, we're not aware we're doing it. And that's why we need to be in the word of God and we need to see Jesus we need to hear the words of Jesus. We need to see the actions of Jesus. We need to keep the gospel front and center that tells us that Christ died for the ungodly. And any righteousness that you have is a gift from God. And that person that you're looking at that's struggling, that person that you're looking down on was you. So let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to read 6 because it's a part of the section, and we'll handle verses 1 through 5. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a big plank in your own eye? You, my friend, are a hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Let's pray. Ask God to give us understanding. Father, we thank you so much for this passage of Scripture that reminds us of our propensity towards um, adulation of self-righteousness and looking down at others as they struggle to grow in their faith. Father, please guard us from prostituting the righteousness of Christ into a reputation. Father, please humiliate us. Keep the gospel in front of our eyes so that we can always see our great need for Christ and his righteousness, and then it's all from him. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would teach us this morning that which we need to learn so that we can grow and love you better and love others better. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this section that we're looking at this morning, verse 1 through 5, we're looking at our attitude towards those in the church, our brothers and sisters, and how we relate to them. And so the first thing he tells us, though, here is he says, do not be judgmental. As you interact with your brothers and sisters in Christ, 
do not be judgmental. It says in the text, do not judge or you too will be judged. So the first thing we need to understand is what Jesus is not saying, okay? And what Jesus is not saying is the way the world views this verse. Jesus is not saying that disciples of Jesus think and live without discriminating between good and bad and between right and wrong behavior. That is not what Jesus is saying here. We don't walk around with our minds switched off with respect to how people are acting. Things they're saying, the decisions they're making. So when people look at this, do not judge. And again, this is what non-Christians love to quote. They turn it into poison, as J.C. Ryle says. It is possible to press the words of the Bible so far that they yield not medicine, but poison. And that's what the world does. Because the world is screaming this, do not judge me. Who are you to judge me? Friends, we make judgments all the time. You do it every single day. You're making judgments all day long, every day, because God's giving you a brain, right? So if you're to go to McDonald's and you're wanting a Big Mac and you pull up to the drive-thru and they hand you that little cardboard box, I think, are they still in cardboard boxes? I don't know. They give you the container that has the Big Mac in it. You would open up that container and that's what you want your Big Mac to look like. Does that not look like a good Big Mac? It does. It looks like a Big Mac. What if you open up that box and it looked like that? You'd be like, you'd put it in reverse, you'd back up, you'd stop knocking on the window, like, oh, time out, time out, you know, and the person behind the window is on their phone, you know, they're doing whatever, and you're like, hey, 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 you wouldn't tolerate that, right? Because you have a standard of what a Big Mac should look like, right? That's what it should look like. And so using your incredible powers of intellect and discernment, all right, you look at this one, and you go, those two, they don't line up. So, which one do you want? Do you want the one on the left or the one on the right? Okay, I'd probably eat either one of them, that's why I am, but I want the one on the left, right? So, you make decisions all day long, every day. All day long, you're making judgments. And, and, and as long as it's in accordance with the Word of God, it's a righteous judgment. But we make decisions all day long. We're constantly discriminating between good and bad, right and wrong. I mean, think about it. As, as a person, like, who are you going to get advice from, right? Okay, this person, I've seen their life. I've seen how they act. I've seen what they say. I know where they go. I know what they do. I want advice from that person. You're making a decision about their life, hopefully against the Word of God. You're making a decision, right? Which doctor are you going to go to? You just willy-nilly go to any doctor. If you don't have a doctor and you've got, like, an ear infection, you might go to anybody, right? You just need somebody to give you an antibiotic. But typically, we're pretty discriminating, right? You're going to start reading your views on Google. You're going to talk to people who might know this doctor. You're going to get as much information as you can about that person. You're going to discriminate. You're going to discern. How about this? Where are you going to buy a house? Are you just going to buy a house in any neighborhood? Or you can look at the other houses in the neighborhood. You're going to look at the people who are hanging out in the neighborhood. You're going to look at the behavior of the people in the neighborhood. And as you look at their behavior, how are you making a decision about whether that behavior is good or bad? You make decisions all day long, and you're judging people's behavior. Oh, who am I to judge? Right? Who am I to judge? Right? Or where are you going to take a walk? 
here's a good one coming up, right? Who are you going to vote for? Or who do you let your kids play with, right? You're making decisions about people based on their behavior against some standard, maybe your own, hopefully against the Word of God. So when, when, when Jesus says, do not judge, he's not saying turn your brain off and weigh and don't weigh people's behavior and people's words. How do you like this statement? That person is so judgmental. Do you see a problem with that? <laughs> Against what are you basing the fact that you're making the statement that that person is so judgmental because you've just made a statement of judgment, right? You see the problem there. So Jesus calls us to make judgments or to discern good and bad, right or wrong behavior according to God's standard. It is holy living to make judgments using God's word as a standard or basis for those judgments. Right? We, 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 uh, we, when people say, who am I to judge? I, you shouldn't judge anybody. What do they think? Well, you need to love that person. You're not really loving them if you're judging them. Isn't that what they're saying, right? You're so unloving because you're, you're judging that person. In Leviticus 19, where Jesus borrows from this when he's asked what the greatest commandment is. The second part, love your neighbor as yourself. You see that at the bottom, verse 18? But what comes before verse 18? We can't divorce verse 18 from the Bible. You can't just like pull it out of its context. He's telling us, he's telling the Israelites, you've been given the law of God. You need to be looking after your neighbor if your neighbor is not living and acting in such a way that it lines up with the word of God, they're in danger. And for you not to make a judgment about their behavior and just let it go is to hate them. He says, do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly. On what basis are you going to rebuke somebody if you haven't judged their behavior? Rebuke your neighbor frankly so that you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. So loving your neighbor assumes that you're going to make judgments, that you're going to discern, that you're going to look at their behavior, compare it to the law of God. And if you're living outside the law of God, this little Red light comes on, danger, 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 and you want to bring them back into that sphere of God's law so that they won't die, so that they'll be blessed. Jesus tells us clearly to make judgments, and he says this in John chapter 7, right? He's talking about the Pharisees, and he says, you guys stop judging by mere appearances, he doesn't say don't just, he doesn't say don't judge by appearances, right? Okay, that's not what he's saying. But we see people do things. But he's saying you guys are seeing righteousness, okay, because they're doing certain things, and it doesn't mean they're righteous on the inside. He says make a right judgment. So your judgment is either right or wrong based on the word of God. And so earlier this morning, we looked at this passage, right? 
It says, do not give what is sacred to dogs. Don't cast your pearls before swine. If you do, they may trample them under feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So what he's assuming here that you're looking out at the world and you see dogs and you see pigs. That somehow you're able to make that decision based on the word of God and their behavior. So Jesus tells us to be discerning and to make judgments. And we're going to see in Matthew chapter 7 in a few weeks, there are people that are false prophets. Watch out for false prophets. Well, how are you going to watch out for them if you don't know what they look like or what they do or how they talk or how they act? You see, you have to make a judgment. You have to be discerning. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? You see, that, that bush is not a grape. It's a thorn bush. You've just made a judgment. It's not a fig. It's a thistle. You've just made a judgment. You've just judged that person. Paul does the same thing. He calls us to make judgments about the actions of others, right? About the words of others, right? In his book, his letter to the church at Galatia, this is very firm, right? And he starts calling people dogs and mutilators. But if even we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Let them be condemned to hell. If you listen to them, and they don't preach the gospel of Jesus Christ that Christ gave to me. It's not my gospel. It's Christ's gospel. If they're preaching anything else, let them be under God's curse. He's calling you to make that discernment. When you listen to people, when you read the doctrine of other churches online, you need to have your brain in gear. You need to be discerning. And it's not unloving to tell that person, you are preaching a lie from hell. You are cursed to hell if you keep preaching that. That's not an unloving thing to say. Oh, Jay, you shouldn't say that about the Catholics. I don't talk about Catholics in general. I talk about the Roman Catholic Church that has added works to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul speaks very clearly about this. As we have already said, so and I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let them be under God's curse. You have to make a judgment. You have to discern that, right? And in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul's looking at the church. He's like, you guys, y'all need to use some discernment, right? We, we saw that this morning at the Lord's Supper. You're not discerning the body of Christ. You've got somebody in your midst, somebody who's participating in the Lord's Supper, and this man is sleeping with somebody who's not his wife. And you're just letting it go. Worse than that, it's part of his family, his father's wife. He says, a man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you're so proud. Have you? I have already passed judgment. Paul says, look, I've, and I skipped a, few, a little bit in there. I've already passed judgment. And then he says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Right? We make judgments about people outside the church, and we're not judging them in the sense that God is going to judge them, okay, for their behavior. He says, God will judge those outside, but he says, you look at what's going on, you wait against the word of God, and you expel that wicked person from among you. He's called them wicked. It's so rude. Why would you call somebody wicked? We're called to make discernments. 
And he says, as a matter of fact, he says, you guys are going to be judging the angels. How much more the things of this life? So what is Jesus saying? What is he saying here? What is he actually telling us when he says, do not judge? What does he mean by that? Well, this word judge, we look at words there. So you read the text in the original language, and there's a Greek word, right? And you go look up the Greek word, and it's like any other dictionary. There's like definition one, two, three, four. We call that a semantic range. Like you can kind of, which one, what, fits the context, right? Because context is king, right? Context determines the meaning of a word. And here in this text, right, you've got some choices here. It could mean to discern. It could mean to judge judicially, like in a court of law. It could be to be judgmental. Or it could be to condemn somebody. So as we look at the context here, what Jesus is saying, he says, don't be judgmental. He's not saying turn off your mental faculties. He's saying don't have a judgmental spirit. He's saying do not adopt a critical, condemning attitude about somebody else's progress in the Christian walk as compared to yours. The big fancy word is censorious. Do not adopt a critical, condemning attitude towards your brother or sister in Christ. We're talking about the body right now. Paul, in his letter to the church at Rome, uses this word judge in the same way. He's talking about Christian liberty here. In Christ, we have freedom. That freedom is controlled by love. And we don't ever want to do something that's unloving to our brother. We don't do something that's going to cause our brother or sister to stumble. There are certain activities in our life that are called disputable matters. Maybe okay for Mike, but it might not be okay for Kristen. So Paul says this, You then, why do you judge your brother or sister concerning disputable matters? Or why do you treat them with contempt? They are living according to the dictates of their conscience, the best way they know how, and you're looking down your nose and you're being judgmental. For we will all stand before God's judgment seat, right? Because... We all have to give an account to the Lord. And Paul's saying, look, if they're living according to their conscience, they're going to have to give an account to God if that really is according to their conscience. It's a disputable matter. Do not hold them in contempt. Do not look down your nose of self-righteousness towards them. He says, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of you will give an account of yourselves before God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment. Let us stop harboring a critical spirit towards one another because of their convictions. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block in the way of a brother or sister. So as you look in the mirror, the mirror of God's word, is this what you see? We're all guilty of it, friends. All of us. So, he says, do not be judgmental. And there's a warning attached to this. And we see that in verse 2. He says, for in the same way you judge others, you too 
will be judged. And with the measure you use, use, it will be measured to you. So what does Jesus mean here? Does he mean that, you know what, the measure you use on others, they're going to use that measure towards you, right? So if you have a critical spirit towards other people, you're inviting a critical spirit from them. Is that what he's saying here? Or is he saying, oops, or is he saying the measure you use on others will be the measure that God himself will use on you? Most commentators side with the second option. Now, I'm sure that if you, are, you know, if you have a critical spirit towards other people and you're constantly judging them and critiquing them and letting them know that your way really is the best way, I hate to say it, and, and you know, you're really, you know, I, I have noticed you're struggling, right? And you, if you're that way, then you do invite that. There's no question about it. But what Jesus is talking about here is the way that God is going to deal with you. And what's it, so what Jesus is asking for, instead of a judgmental, hypercritical spirit, is mercy. Because of God's great love in mercy, he made you alive in Christ, right? This mercy that says you're pathetic and poor and can do nothing for yourself, but I'm going to bless you anyway. I see you struggling. I see the way you've fallen. I see that you've fallen in sin again, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick you up again and I'm going to bless you anyway. That's what Jesus is aiming for here. And so, Back in the Sermon on the Mount, in the beginning, in the Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And when he says that, he's not saying, be merciful so that God will show mercy to you. You know, like this tit for tat thing. And so if you have a merciful spirit towards other people who are growing in their faith, just like you're growing in faith, if you are merciful towards people who've been saved by the same gospel of Jesus Christ that you've been saved by, if you have that in your heart, then when you stand before God in judgment one day, he's going to look at the record of your life and he's going to show you mercy because of Jesus Christ, just like he's going to show the other person mercy because of Jesus Christ. Right? Because we've already we've looked at as well the second part there in verse 14, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, our Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Again, that's not a quid pro quo. It's not a tit for tat. It's if you have a heart of unforgiveness, then don't expect God to forgive you on the day of judgment because you haven't realized the gospel of Jesus Christ in your heart. It's not real to you. You haven't come in faith. And so Jesus is telling us to let mercy, okay, when we're making discernments, when we're making judgments, right? Because we're making judgments about people's behavior within the body of Christ. We're called to do that. We'll see that in a minute. We're called to make judgments about each other's behavior. I should never hear, I'm not my brother's keeper. I should never hear, I'm not the Holy Spirit. They're going to have to figure that out with the Holy Spirit's help. No, God's given us each other to help us to check our bad behavior when it needs to be checked. But as we do that, as we recognize a person's bad behavior Weighing their behavior against the word of God, Jesus, let's, let's err on the side of mercy and be gentle about it. One commentator says this, the command to judge is not a requirement to be blind, but rather a plea to be generous. So as we make judgments, not a hypercritical spirit, 
and we'll see the judgment we're making in just a second, we need to remember the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Because you see, at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will somebody die for a righteous person, right, is, is the next verse. But verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love, his love towards us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's the beauty of the gospel. And so we can't forget that as we interact as the body of Christ, as we live in relationships, as we live in the already, not yet. We cannot look at those around us who are struggling in their faith and somehow think that they were more ungodly than you are. The same love of God through Christ that saved you is the same of love of God through Christ that saved everybody else. So Jesus says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with this measure you use, it will be measured to you. John Stott says, Jesus does not tell us to cease to be men by suspending our critical powers, which help us, which helped us to distinguish us from the animals, right? We've been critical, given critical powers of thinking because we're creating the image of God. Animals don't have that. We do. He says, so Jesus is not telling us, he tell, he's not telling us to put our brain in neutral. He's not telling us to stop thinking. He's not telling us to stop making judgments about people's behavior, but he's telling us to renounce the presumptuous ambition to be God by setting ourselves up as judges with the hypercritical spirits. But do not judge because you'll be judged by the same standard with which you judge others. So, do not be judgmental. But he goes on and tells us, do not be hypocritical. Do not be hypocritical. And this is a passage that we've been through a few times here as a group, especially went through Peacemakers last year. And because it's so familiar, I don't think I need to spend a lot of time here, right? It's the, it's the beam and the speck. Very familiar to us. Jesus says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Right? So in this scenario, as we live in relationship with those in the body of Christ, we're going to have stuff in our eyes. The stuff in our eyes represents our sin struggles. And so he's not saying, don't ever help your brother or sister who's struggling in sin. What he's saying is, before you go to them to help them with their sin struggle, deal with your own sin before God, recognizing that you may have a plank in your eye. And if you take that plank out by confessing your sin to God and repenting of that sin, then you will see clearly how to help your brother or sister in Christ deal with the sin in their own life. The best biblical example that I can think of is King David, right? In the story of King David where he commits adultery with Bathsheba and she becomes pregnant and uh, he doesn't want to be found out. So he calls Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, back from the front lines, He calls him back to Jerusalem so that he can spend time with Bathsheba so that they will have relations and that they'll think the baby really is Uriah's. Well, Uriah was a man of impeccable integrity, 
and he wanted to honor the men who were on the front line, so he refused to sleep in the same house with his wife. He, he said, I'm going to sleep in the street. If the men are frightened on the front lines, I am not going to sleep with my wife. David was obviously frustrated by that, so he tells the commander, all right, put Uriah on the front line where the fighting is the most fierce, knowing that most likely Uriah would die, and Uriah did die. So David, in a sense, had Uriah killed. And so this happens, and we don't know how much time elapses between Uriah's death and Nathan coming to David to call him on his sin. We don't know. But I have to think there was probably a period of time where there was a big elephant walking around with David, and every time David was talking, there was the proverbial elephant in the room like, there's this thing that happened and nobody's talking about it. Well, God sends his prophet, Nathan, to David, and this is what happens. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it. It grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against that man. He said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. See, Uriah was that man. The ewe lamb was Bathsheba. David was the rich man. David took the lamb. All that Uriah had, took it. And he was burning with anger. And then Nathan said to David, you are that man, right? David was listening to Nathan. He had a huge plank sticking out of his eye, and all he could see was that little speck in the rich man's eye. And Nathan said, you are the man. One commentator says this, the fact of the matter is that we are not really concerned about helping the other person. We are only interested in condemning them. I've seen this as a pastor in the body of Christ as people struggle with sin. Pastor, you need to go say something to that person. Uh, kind of all in this together, but you need to go say something to them. Well, you're the one that knows about it, right? And, and it's, it's almost like they want the person to be found out, not necessarily brought back into God's care and restored. He continues, we pretend to have this great interest. We pretend that we are very distressed at finding this, finding this blemish, but in reality as our Lord has already shown us, and this, the horrible part, we are really glad to discover it. It is hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy. God save us from that. That as we 
interact in relationship in the body of Christ, as we grow in our sanctification, as we grow in what it means to follow Jesus Christ, as we see each other stumble and fall, we, we, may we never rejoice in another person's misfortune and that I'm so glad that that's not me. I'm so glad that that's not one of my children. That would never happen to me. That would never happen to one of my children. Friends, it can happen to anybody. And there's this, there's this part of you that's rejoicing. And there could even be a part of you that says, I'm glad that person got found out. Not in that you want them to be whole and restored, but that you're glad they're getting what's coming to them. So we need to correct one another. We need to make judgments concerning each other's behavior. But we have to take the plank out before we make that judgment. And we have to come in love. We don't come with an axe to remove a fly off of somebody's forehead. We need to correct the person, not as a foe, nor as an adversary, exacting a penalty, but as a physician providing medicine. Yes, even more as a loving brother, anxious to rescue and restore. That should be the outcome of the plank and the speck. As Galatians says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. Don't stand there with hypercritical judgment, looking down your self-righteous nose at somebody who's struggling, offering up prayers for them, when you need to come into their life and help them carry the struggle they're facing. Because in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Leviticus, the law of love. You will not hate your neighbor, but you will rebuke them frankly, according to the word of God, as you make that judgment, and you will carry their burden with them. As we seek Christ's kingdom and his righteousness, we must guard against self-righteousness, seeing I'm sorry, self-righteous seeing. We've got to guard against self-righteous seeing. The only righteousness you have, friends, is the righteousness of Christ. Let me back up. The only righteousness you have that will, you will find acceptance before God is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This self-righteous seeing blinds us to our ever-present need for Christ's righteousness. As we guard against self-righteousness, then we will relate rightly to our brothers and sisters in the body. This will strengthen relationships and strengthen the church. May God guard us against a hypercritical, judgmental spirit. May he encourage us towards the law of Christ and the law of love. Amen? Amen. So we're going to sing, O Great God. And it starts, O Great God of highest heaven, occupy my lowly heart. We need to come to Christ with a lowly heart and a lowly spirit, understanding that the only righteousness we can ever have comes from Christ. Perhaps this morning there's a sin that you need to confess before God as you stand and sing the song. Do that. Perhaps you've never come to Christ in faith. You can do that right where you are, just crying out, save me, just like the tax collector. Save me. I need salvation. Calling on Jesus Christ as Savior. You can do that while you're standing there singing that song. Let's pray, and then we'll sing, O Great God, together. Father, we thank you so much for this passage.